welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Well, welcome. Today on the show, we have something a little bit different. I will be reviewing on my own the federal budget for 2022. The reason is, is that, it, uh, well, only came out a couple of days ago, and there is a lot to go through. To, uh, through. In fact, there's about 17 key points, both personal and corporate, that I think are worth uh, accounting for. So uh, let's, instead of having the back and forth, it'd be more effective to just tell you what they are. So let's dive in. First, we're going to start off with the personal side that impacts everyone, not just business owners. So the first big change is the addition of the tax-free first home savings account, the FHSA. This is a new account, which will be which people or Canadians over 18 who have not owned or lived a home in the last, in the current or last four calendar years will be able to contribute 8,000 a year to, to a lifetime limit of 40,000. And the money will be tax deductible and grow tax sheltered. And then can be taken out tax-free to pay for the home, first-time home, that is. Now, a couple of things about this. If you don't use the amount, it can be transferred to an RRSP or RIF in the future. Right now, it doesn't impact your room. However, I think those rules might change before they launch. Keep in mind, the budget can, these protocols can be changed prior to full launch day. The other thing that's important here is that you can also move money from an RSP to a first-time home buyer's home, first-time, first home savings account, pardon me. And then the most important one here is, unfortunately, you cannot combine this with the existing RSP's first-time homebuyer's plan. It's either or. You can only use one. Of course, this is tax advantageous. And the reason is because you never have to pay this back and it comes out tax-free. Now, I'm actually not a huge fan of this. And the reason is because it creates a new account and new complexity. Frankly, I feel they could have tweaked the RSP and the homebuyer's plan to accomplish the same thing. And not only that, it'll be a lot easier to implement because I'll tell you right now, um, a lot of back offices are moaning terribly about having to set this up given how complicated that is it's going to basically it might not be ready for january 1 when this thing launches so in addition to that if you were buying your first home you were entitled to a tax credit previously that is now increasing so it used to be five thousand it is doubling to ten thousand so that gives you a total tax credit a maximum value of fifteen hundred dollars so tax credits important to note a tax credit may sound like a big number but the problem in canada at least is you have to apply that credit to whatever federal rate they tell you to and what the federal tax rates. So we have marginal tax rates, rates that go up over time. Unfortunately, the vast majority of credits apply at the lowest rate of 15%. So 10,000 times 15 equals $1,500. So it's non-refundable, meaning you have to at least pay that in taxes in order to get it back. So that can be used to purchase any basically first home for the family. Another interesting one, the multi-generational home renovation tax credit. Basically in recognition of the fact that a lot of people are setting up suites for their loved ones, whether they be over 65 or in cases of kids over 18 who are disabled and eligible for the disability tax credit, there's a new credit. So what that means is, is that if you spend up to $50,000, we can spend whatever you want, but you add on a suite to your home and you renovate an existing or renovate an existing dwelling. The first $50,000 of expenditure is considered to be part of this credit. And what that means is, is that there's regulations as to what an existing dwelling is and how this all looks, but, and it has to be basically completed and done before you file your taxes on it. But all the eligible expenses, including labor, building materials, fixtures, all of that, 
account. However, cost of some things like cost of appliances or financing for renovation, HST costs, those don't. So basically, the way this works is if you have a family member, it doesn't have to be just a mother or father. It can be uncles, aunts, uh, nieces, nephews, if they're disabled or over 65, and you renovate an existing dwelling to create a suite for them, which does include a kitchen, bathroom facility, something kind of like a private apartment, then $50,000 qualifies. That saves you a maximum of $7,500 in taxes. So the home accessibility credit, which is the fourth change. Home accessibility credit has been basically uh, doubled yet again. So it used to be 10,000, now it's 20,000. And this helps pay for renovations and alterations such as wheelchair ramps, walk-in bathtubs, little chair lifts anything to help you get around the house if you physically need to. So that is now $20,000 limit, which means the net benefit is up to $3,000 in savings if you basically qualify for the full amount. Now, some policies specifically targeted at some of the housing issues we have in this country. Let's start off with the first one, the new residential property flipping tax. So basically, if you hold a home, buy a home as your principal residence and live in it for less than 12 months before selling it, the principal residence exemption does not apply. In fact, it's not only not only doesn't apply, but the gain qualifies as full income. So here's the thing, and this, this applies after January 1st, 2023, but here's the thing about this. Technically, this rule already existed. CRA could always disallow the principal residence exemption. Now, if you had a really logical reason for why that happened, say you lost your job or anything else that would make sense, then typically they just turned a blind eye. However, at any point, if they saw, especially if they saw a pattern of you doing this in terms of being a house flipper, then they could disallow it. And there's plenty of cases in court. This probably just makes it a little bit easier to apply, but it's more or less an existing rule. The next one or sixth change is a ban on foreign purchasers. So basically a two-year ban on foreign purchasers buying homes in Canada. What does that mean? It means people who don't live here and basically are acquiring essentially investment properties in Canada. This we can debate how big of an impact this has been, but you know studies have shown over $250 billion has spilled in the country uh, in cases like this over the last 15 years. So will this make a difference? Might be a little bit too late, too late, but better to have it than not. And two years, well, I'm not sure how effective two years is. Also, the reality is in Canada, we do not have a beneficial ownership directory, which means that basically if people buy this in a corporation, they might be able to get around it. We'll see. We'll see what kind of rules get published in addition to this. Something that affects a lot of us, and this is going to, or a lot of people, and this is a change to the alternative minimum tax credit. Now they haven't announced what it is, but they've started setting the stage for taxing, quote unquote, the highest income Canadians. In order to support this, they released a chart that showed that something like 28% of people earning over 400,000 were paying less than 15% in taxes. Now, here's the thing. Let's take a step back for a second. Frankly, this charm is sorry, this chart or this entire point is complete and pure spin. Why is that? Because if you look at the footnotes to the chart, they basically included on the top line for income things like the tax, the non-taxable portion of capital gains. So, for example, you sell a business and not all of it's sheltered. You basically still pay capital gains on that. Only half of the gain is taxable. They included the full amount. You sell an investment property, same thing. You sell a principal residence. So that one we don't know about. We don't know if they included that or not. They might be getting cheeky on that. But the point is, is that they included money in there that currently legally, without any fault or any abuse, is not taxable. Then on the bottom line, which is the tax paid, they ignored, they just basically looked at the tax bill. They ignored all the deductions, all the credits, 
all the things that would basically lower your tax bill, even things as simple as the dividend tax credit. Now, that, frankly, is not a true reflection of what people are paying because simple example, for those of you who are business business owners out there who have yet to incorporate, maybe you have a $500,000 top line and a $80,000 bottom line and 420,000 is literally legitimate expenses. Technically, they're seeing you're offside, that you're one of these people who's cheating the system. In addition to that, again, like if taxes, if something's not taxable, why are you basically suddenly trying to spin it that someone's creating taxes? So this is the thing. There's a system in Canada called the alternative minimum tax. So basically it's it's there to kind of test and prevent people from gaming the system too well. And have to sit there. So basically you calculate your taxes the normal way. And then there's a second way to, ta- to, to, to calculate them. And if, you're, if the second way equals more, then you basically pay more. Now, typically this is only the case in very, very large capital gains. But what they're saying is that they're going to now look at this and change it. Now, here's my theory. They've been talking about increasing the capital gains tax rate for a long time. It has met with popular opposition in general. This is a backdoor way of doing it, quite honestly, is if they change the AMT, they're spinning it as the wealthiest Canadians basically doing it. But that's not the case. There's plenty of plenty of people who've earned reasonable income for their entire lives, let's call it sub 100,000. And you know they go to sell something that they legally can and pay no tax, like potentially principal residence, if that's what they did, or a investment condo that they basically that they made they held for ten years, whatever it was. Maybe it was the first place they lived in, and the non-taxable portion is being counted. So, frankly, that to me is just nothing but political spin and rhetoric. And I really wish they would keep it out of it. So that's uh, that aside. Uh, let's move on to the next one: tax on real estate assignment sales. Previously, if you sold an assignment to someone else, GST would typically not apply. Now it does. In addition to that, it's not capital gains, it's fully taxable income. So this is hurting the margins of of various uh, people who are basically flipping these things. Hopefully they increase that even further, in my opinion, because frankly, these have become nothing but speculative securities. Nine, uh, medical support for Canadians wanting to become parents. So to date, the credits or deductions that you qualify for, for, for expenses, for medical expenses that are pertaining to say individual fertilization or something of the sort, they qualified, but not if you use the surrogate. So surrogacy is becoming more of a need in Canada and more common. And they've now extended it to allow for those medical expenses to qualify for the person paying it for it. So if you're using a surrogate, you will now be able to cover those or to, or to claim those expenses under the medical tax credit in Canada. And moving on, next does one policy affecting charities in Canada in that they did a study saying that, hey, charities, you're basically allowed, you're supposed to pay at about 3.5% per year of what is currently invested in your in your charitable fund. Well, you're piling up assets faster than you're piling up expenses. So this number is going kind of gangbusters. So they're going to increase it to probably about to about 5% with the ability to pay lower if you have any issues. But the point is, is that basically making that those large endowments charities have pay out more money to get to people's hands sooner. Might be good, might be bad, depends on the charity's individual situation. So that covers all the personal tax changes. Quite honestly, it was not a lot. There was some boutique tax credits. The big one, of course, was the uh, the first time home savings account. I sincerely hope that they revisit this and simply bake this into the RSP. And again, I'll tell you, it will be a lot easier for all parties to administer and probably lower cost to do so. So it is um, hopefully something that a sober second thought 
will will correct. And then the con- the concerning thing, like I said, is the basically the rhetoric around the alternative minimum tax. And one thing I didn't cover was they did mention vaguely that they're going to uh, you know kind of encouraging yachters to apply the general anti avoidance rule more frequently. But that is that's a highly subjective rule that says oh you've done too well, so guess what you're offside. So I'm a little bit concerned that audits might start to become a little bit more predatory. Uh, listen to my last podcast if you uh, want to know what I mean by that. So on to corporate taxes, a couple of changes here. Um, first one is the small business tax deduction. So the way this works, and we discussed this in previous podcasts, is that the first half million dollars of active business income in Canada is taxed at a lower small business rate. And then anything in thereafter is taxed at the general rate. Now, depending on what province you're in, it's usually in the low teens for small business rate. And then the general rate is somewhere around 25-ish, 26%, varies from province to province. Now, here's the thing. You start to lose access to this small business rate when one of two things happens. You have capital that exceeds 20, uh, sorry, exceeds $10 million. And what that means is that you have more than $10 million in assets employed in your business. And then it all disappears. And then what happens is you start to lose it and it all disappears around 15 million. So at 15 million in capital, you're basically paying just the general rate, whereas between 10 and 15, there is a blend of the two. And then uh, under 10, it's basically just the uh, the small business rate, again, only on the first 500,000. So the other way is if your passive income or well, a specific calculation called aggregate, adjusted aggregate investment income exceeds $50,000. And then it disappears once the small business tax rate disappears at 150. So what happens is, is that when you exceed one of those thresholds, you start to the amount the five hundred thousand starts to reduce down to you know to four hundred three hundred whatever it is over time until it hits zero and you're left with nothing but the general rate. So the change happening here is that they're going to increase the capital test from ten to fifteen million and it will phase it out now over until it hits fifty million. So before, if it was if you had ten million, if you had more than ten million, you were starting to lose some of the small business uh, tax rate. At 15, you lost it all. Now it's going to be 15 to 50. And that will take place as of April 7th of this year. There are specific credits now available for those who are using uh, carbon capture utilization and storage. So if you are a business that is carbon heavy and you're doing what you can to capture that and utilize it, there are tax credits available to you, as well as clean technology tax credits. So for example, heat pumps, uh, that's the one uh, what they've, they've cited specifically, which will reduce taxes by up to 50% on certain tax rates. And then also things like zero emission vehicles. So again, pushing the climate agenda in the corporate sphere, which nothing wrong with that. Capital cost allowance for clean energy equipment. If you are basically if you are basically purchasing and installing clean energy equipment, there is now an increase in the capital cost allowance rules, meaning that you can basically deduct it faster than you would otherwise. Critical mining exploration tax credit. This is basically targeting what are known as flow through shares, shares that flow through exploration expenses down into your personal tax rate and give you a write-off. Never been a big fan of these for various investment reasons, but basically they are going to stop letting oil exploration carbon-based stuff do them. Only mining still exists uh, to the best of my knowledge. However, there is a minimum there's now rules around how that works uh, and how much qualifies. Intergenerational share transfers. So we've talked about this before. I had Kim Moody on previously talking about BLC 208 and ridiculous flaws. And here's what it really comes down to. Currently, if you want to sell your business to your child, there's technically versus another business coming along and buying it you're technically disadvantaged. What I mean by that, if I came and wanted to buy your business and I use corporate assets to do so, I could use corporate assets to only pay the small business or the general tax rate. Now, if I sell 
the small business to my kids and try to use the money within the corp to pay for that. Well, that doesn't count. It has to flow out personally. So there's, there's some, that's a general principle. Kim and I got deep into it. Bottom line is they know that there's issues with that. Uh, there's also some really big ambiguity about things surrounding this and strategy surrounding this. So they are basically extending the consultation process to figure out how to fix this and hope to have a report by June 17th. We will see. So this is another one of those of, hey, we're coming back to this, just like with the AMT and tax deferring using foreign entities. So one of the things that got popular since the small business tax measures of a couple of years ago was what is known as non-CCPC planning, Canadian controlled private corporations. Companies were reorganizing themselves to no longer be Canadian controlled private corporations, typically with some sort of offshore component in a tax-free, tax a preferable domicile to avoid some of these tax measures, including the small business, uh, the one we talked about when it comes to passive income and losing you know, more than 50 cents on a dollar uh, when you make a dollar of passive income. So they are now targeting this. I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but they're coming after it. So that is a quick summary of the budget. So what impacts you as a business owner? Well, if you're in the clean tech sphere, you're impacted. Take a look, you're better off uh, because of tax credit. If you're in the if you're employing more than $10 million in capital in your business, you're impacted for the better. You are going to have better access to the small business tax rate. You're installing clean tech in your business for energy, well, for, I believe, heating and energy generation situations, you're better off as well. If you organized your business in from a CCPC to a non-CCPC, you're worse off. And the intergenerational wealth transfer aspect is still being looked at. I really hope they fix that because, frankly, it is not fair. On the personal side, like I said, we have that new savings account. Again, just hope they tweak the RSP instead. But regardless, uh, this will be a vehicle primarily, in my belief, for parents to help kids save money on a tax-deferred basis towards buying a house. Um, it's it's not. A lot of people, quite honestly, aren't going to have the extra eight grand regardless, so it doesn't solve much there. And then a bunch of other issues that were brought up and raised. And yeah, the AMT, uh, the alternative minimum tax, they're definitely looking at, it, looking at it. And I do believe it to be a backdoor way of, of increasing capital gains taxation. So lots of stuff going on. Nothing too material this time around. I expect us to hear more stuff in the summer because they basically have some announcements coming on all these various things. And we'll see how this continues to unfold. Feel free to to reach out, or I would suggest speak to your accountants about how any of these measures basically impact you. And that is all for today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever's your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.